everyone. This is Chris and Sandy Bent with the Chris and Sandy Show. We get up close and personal with some amazing guests throughout the entertainment industry. Today, we've got a musical legend for you. Who do we have? Yes, we're so excited to have Bobby Rydell with us today. He started music at an early age, playing drums professionally at the age of nine. He appeared on Dick Clark's American Bandstand in 1959 and went on to sell more than 25 million records during his career. His most popular hits include Kissing Time, Wild One, and Valari. In 2012, he underwent a double organ transplant and was back performing six months later. And we're excited to talk a little yes. bit about all that and yes, more. Yes, and more. So, Bobby, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you ever so much, Chris. Thank you, Sandy. Pleasure to be with you guys. <laughs> you know, I always like to start the show out the kind of same way because, you know, in the entertainment industry, everybody got hit hard because of COVID. So right. this last 18 months or so, you know, give or take, how has that affected what you do? And what have you done to kind of maneuver through this crazy mess that we're in? Well, uh, when that happened, uh, of course, uh, not only me, but a lot of my friends, uh, you know, co-entertainers uh, were out of work for a better part of close to two years. And so, uh, you know, um, my wife and I just kind of, you know, went along with everything. And uh, we have uh, a house up in uh, a place called Lake Winola, which is above Scranton, where my wife is originally from. So we oh, spent wow. some time, we went up at the lake and we have a lot of friends up there. And, uh, you know, we just try to do, uh, just, you know, get along. But, but right now, everything is working fine. You know, I've been working quite a bit. Matter of fact, I leave uh, this Saturday for Chicago. I work oh, wow. Called the Ar yeah, I work at a place called the Arcata Theater which is a great theater, and I work there on Sunday. Sunday is my show day. Then I come home, and I do Wildwood, New Jersey. Uh, it's an Italian fest, and then I'm on the road to uh, Lorain, Ohio, and Wheeling, West Virginia, and then a, a casino uh, right uh, close to here, uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, called the Wind Creek Casino, and that's with two of my friends. That's with uh, that's with Frankie Adelon and Fabian. We do a show called we do a yeah we do a show called the Golden Boys. Awesome. So everything is you know so, so far, so far so good. So far going back to at least yeah. semi normal. What you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah correct. Yes, yeah, so, you know it's all, it was almost kind of nice to be off for a while. You know, yeah. didn't have to pack, didn't have to pack suitcase. You know, didn't have to get on a plane and then check into a hotel. <laughs> You know, all of that. So it, it was kind of nice, you know, to be home for that uh, that amount of time. You know, yeah, for us, break, yeah. we launched this show January 2020, so a few months before COVID. And I remember yeah. um, our original plan was to kind of do 100 interviews last year or as our first year. And right. then COVID hits. And I told Sandy, you know, this uh -huh. may be our time to shine. So instead of slowing down, we did everything to speed it up. And because of that, we did over 300 interviews last year, and we're at almost 450 now. Wow, that's fantastic. Good for you. So it's been, for it's been a lot of work, a lot of fun, bringing people like you <laughs> on. Oh, yeah. yes, In fact, at night, it. we'll talk and we'll pinch ourselves almost because we're getting to talk to people that we never imagined. 
you know, yes. again, it's been such a crazy adventure and we kind of owe COVID a part of it because it lifted our shoulders. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. uh, that's what's so nice about these Zoom things. You know, you get a chance to, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, during that pe period, I did a lot of Zooms, you know, I mean, from all over Australia, England, uh, just all over, you know, yeah. outside, outside the United States. So, that kept, you know, that kept me going for a while as well. Right. So let's go way back now, you know, to a little bit of your story. You know, you were a drummer, a professional drummer at a young age. You know, tell us how that yeah. got started. Well, my dad, uh, my dad loved big bands. And when I was five years old, uh, he took me to see uh, the Benny Goodman band at a oh, place in Philadelphia, at a place in Philadelphia called the Earl Theater. Now, I'm five years old. I don't know who Benny Goodman is, and I never heard his music. But when I went there and I saw like four trumpets and four trombones and five saxophones, <laughs> oh, wow. a full rhythm section, piano, bass, drums, guitar. But there was one guy, there was one <laughs> guy in the band, and I didn't know who his name, I didn't know what his name was at the time. I said, I don't know who that guy is playing drums, Dad, but I oh, want to yeah. be him. Oh, wow. I want to be that guy. And that guy was Gene Krupa with oh, the Benny Goodman Band. Yeah. Wow. And Gene Krupa, Gene Krupa was one of the best drummers, you know, of his day. He, and that's how I started. I started uh, even before nine years old. I started like around five, wow. six years old after I saw Krupa, Gene Krupa. Wow. You know, we've got a crazy drum story. Um, our very first time visiting Nashville earlier this year, we, uh -huh. were on, we were almost on Broadway. We were walking and we we're in front of Honky Tonk Central and we're with our nine, with our two kids. And uh -huh. apparently the drummer in um, Honky Tonk Central seen our little boy, little Chris, he's nine years old yes. and told somebody, here's a drumstick. <clears throat> go, go take it to that boy and give it to him. So they took it to him and we thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. But then what sure. happened next was the craziest thing because we crossed the street and we're at Dirk's Bentley Row and we're listening to the music there. And okay. the lady singer was on stage and she peeks out the window and sees him holding a drumstick. So she <laughs> jumps down and grabs him and says, would you like to come play drums with us for one song? Yeah, so he got on stage. The they pulled him through the window. Oh, you're kidding. Wow. What a thrill. Play, play the drums. And he's oh, got a hit on. And how old was he? No, he's nine. Okay. Wow. Fantastic. So now he Yo, wants to be a drummer. He so, wants to be a drummer. So it'll be funny if he ends up being a big drummer one day down the road because we'll, he'll he'll be to tell that story. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. You know, that's right. I remember uh, my mom had to go to a, an affair. My dad was in the service. He was overseas mm -hmm. at the time. I was three years old. And there was a little band like a trio, you know, piano, bass, and drums. Mm -hmm. And I went up and I started, the, 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 the guys were, you know, taking a break. So I got, you know, uh, behind the drums, and I just started banging them. You know, I was three years old at the time. And the drummer comes up to me. He says, hey, kid, get off the drums and go back to your father. I said, my father's in the army. My father's in the army, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like that would help, right? Yeah. yeah. Another story. Another story about that is, you know, when my dad was away, of course, uh, my mom and dad, uh, kept writing to one another. 
And my mother wrote when I was, I guess, three years old. And she wrote back to my father and said, the baby is always singing. The baby is always singing. And my father wrote back to my mother. He says, who knows, Jenny? Maybe one day we'll have a star in the family. Wow. How about that? Yeah. And I, to this day, I still have that letter in my possession. Wow. My, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So she spoke that into existence. Yes. Well, actually, it was my dad. God. If I had any. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, when he came home, of course, I used to watch, you know, television. I impersonate everybody. And, of course, I would oh, sing. Wow. And my dad used to take me around to nightclubs when I was seven, eight years old to ask the, the club owner, is it okay <laughs> if my son gets up and sings and does a couple of impersonations? And I went up, you know, and I went up, I'm seven, eight years old, and people applauded, you know, and I said, I thought to myself, oh, my God, you know, all I have to do is do what I just did, and they do that. What a wonderful feeling, you know? Was that when it and, clicked, this could be a career? Oh, yeah, at, at that age, yeah. Yeah, my father, if I had any talent within me whatsoever, my dad was the first one to see it. And he took me around. He took me around to nightclubs when I was eight, nine years old to sing some songs and do some impersonations. That's because of my dad that I'm in the business today. Wow. God, God rest his soul. So let's fast forward a little bit to age 17 and Kissing Time comes out as your, and that was your kind of breakthrough song. Tell us how all that happened. Well, I was signed to a company, uh, uh, a little small record label in Philadelphia called Cameo, which later became Cameo Parkway. And the uh, owner of the company was a man by the name of Bernie Lowe. And I auditioned for him and he liked me and he signed me to a contract. And I had three records uh, uh, for Cameo at the time and nothing happened, you know. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah and i yeah, and i said to myself you know what i was really happy playing drums man i'll just go you know, become, I'll, I'll become a drummer and then the fourth song that he wrote oh and let me preface that by saying that the first three songs he would go over to dick clark because mm -hmm. american bandstand was emanated out of philadelphia okay and you know and 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 bernie would bring the acetate the dub yeah, of my first three records, and Dick, tur Dick turned them all down. And the, 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 the last one that I recorded was Kissin' Time. And he took the dub over to Dick. Dick dropped the needle on the record. He looked at Bernie Lowe and he said, that's a hit. Mm. Wow. And, and, from, and, and from there, I was on American Bandstand, which went, of course, across the country from 3.30 to 5 o'clock every day, from Monday to yeah. Fridays. Yes. Yeah. Now, how was it being a teenager and rising in the charts like that? Because again, you know, it's different back then. It would be still, I guess, it's the same as it is now, but a little different too, because social media now can really catapult. Uh, yeah. Like back then, it was TV that catapulted people. So, Absolutely. what was it like, you know, being a seventeen-year-old, and how did you stay grounded through that time period? Well, I, I stayed grounded uh, basically because of family. You know, my mom and my dad and my grandparents were Italian. I grew up in an Italian family. There's a lot of love, warmth, respect, you know, all of that, all of that good stuff. 
And I had a great manager at the time, a man by the name of Bernie Lowe, excuse me, Frank P. Day. And I remember Bernie Lowe uh, telling me one day, he said, he said to me, uh, always be the way that you are, never change, you know, keep that personality you have, you know, at 17 years old. And he says, because I want you to remember one thing, you meet the same people going up the ladder as you do coming down. down. And if you happen to, and if you happen to be a no good guy while you're up there and you're sliding, they'll kick you to get down a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. So that that kind of stuck with me to this day. And I'll I'll be eighty next April. God spares. Wow. Yeah, I love that. And you know, now as you know, a lot of people they see the glory in what you do, and you know, Blake Shelton's and Miranda's out there, and all the top artists. They don't see the grind, the sacrifice, the tears, the struggles it takes, not just to get to y'all's level, but even a career level within entertainment. I always want to talk about that on our show because I think that a lot of people gloss over this because they think I got the talent. I'll make it. But it's a lot. You know, it's you know, again, it's a work. Well, I, I mean, I mean, first of all, you got to you got to think that, you know, that I have the talent. And yeah. Sooner or later. Yeah. Sooner or later, <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna make it. You know, you have to have that kind of, you know, uh, here in your heart and up in your mm-hmm. head that, you know, I've got the talent. I just need the time to get that big break. And mm-hmm. you know, back back then, it was, you know, a lot of a lot of TV, like an American Bandstand, you know. And then later on in my later on in my career, I had the opportunity to do TV shows with Red Skelton. Jack mm-hmm. Benny, uh, mm-hmm. Danny Thomas, uh, Milton Berle. And th- that was, you know, looking back on it, I guess it was because of the talent that I had back then at a very, very early age. And I did something like 12 shows with Mr. Skelton. And wow. I could never call, I would never call, I could never call him Red. It was <laughs> always Mr. You know, it was always Mr. Yeah. Skelton. And one day he started calling me Mr. Rydell. And he said, let's stop this. You're Bobby, I'm Red. And it was, so, <laughs> it, it was so hard for me to call him Red because I admired the guy for God knows how many years, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've had a long career. Um, what would you say is some of the reasons why you've been able to keep this pace all these years? A lot, you see a lot of people they're here for a decade or they're here for maybe two, three years and then they're gone. You know, how have you been yeah. able to keep this steady all these years? Well, hopefully it's the talent. <laughs> the, <laughs> you know, the talent hasn't gone away. And thank God, uh, coming up to 80 years old, my chops are still marvelous. I, I, I still sing basically in the same original key that I sang back when I was 17 years old. Oh, wow. So the, so the chops are still up there really good. And the talent, yeah. I'm a good singer. I'm a, I'm a funny guy. I'm a comedian as well on stage. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just don't sing. You know, I just don't sing when I'm on stage. I'll tell some jokes. I'll tell some stories. I'll do some impersonations, so on and so forth, you know. So I guess uh, you would say that I'm a well-rounded entertainer. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, Michael Jr., who's the Christian comedian on our show yesterday. Yeah, sir. Which was I, I'm not aware. I'm not aware of him. After a show, you should look him up. It's, I mean, it's oh. Michael Junior comedy. He's oh, he's very funny. Very funny. He's and able to keep everything clean. 
I, I, I can find them like on YouTube. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. He, yeah, he's everywhere. Just uh, Michael Junior Comedy. Yeah. Michael Junior Comedy. Okay, I will do that. Yeah. Right, really, really funny guy. Uh, but, but, um, but again, it takes a lot of talent. Takes a lot of work. I remember someone telling me one time in our entertainment world, it takes a lot of work ethic, a lot of work, a lot of talent, and a lot of time. But the problem is many people who have the talent, they'll quit before that time comes. Because again, when you get to a point, you'll have that breakthrough that becomes that lucky break. So there is some uh -huh. luck into it, but many people don't. Oh, there, I, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Luck takes a big, you know, is a big part of it. And, you know, the worth ethic is uh, uh, something that I have done over the years. I remember my first appearance at the Copacabana. I was 19 years old, the Copa Cabana in New York City. I was the youngest entertainer to work the Copa. And I had two I had two guys who staged my act. Noel Sherman wrote a lot of special material for me, and a guy by the name of Lou Spencer staged my act. He was a dancer. And he was a he was originally with a group called the Dunhills, and they were four guys who, who danced. And they opened for uh, uh, Danny Kay uh, for a lot of a lot of Danny Kay shows. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were in, in Syracuse, New York, you know, trying to get the app prepared, ready for the Copa. And it, it was a club called the Three Rivers Inn in uh, Syracuse, New York. And after the show, I would go back and I would sit down with Lou Spencer and Old Sherman. Mm. And Lou was funny. He had a roll yeah. of toilet paper. He had a big roll of toilet paper. And he tore off one piece of the toilet paper. He said, this is everything you did right. And then he rolled the toilet paper out. He says, this is everything you did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked. Yeah, excuse me. I, I worked my butt off, you know, to get mm -hmm. ready. You know, get crying. Yeah, yeah. A lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. But. Boy, did it pay off. But I, because I think that's where a lot of people miss. You know, they see entertainers and they see them for that 30 minutes, hour, two hours. And that's when right. the entertainer is in their zone. That's when the entertainer, that's the fun part of the, you know, just like with our show, you know, people see 30 minutes to an hour for our show and they see Correct. the fun. Yeah, that's but the, fun part. the behind the scenes of reaching out to so many people, the, the going back and forth, the cancellations, the people saying uh -huh. they'll come on but then don't the no shows when they say they're going to be on and then don't show oh, well, sure what do you do then yeah, <laughs> yeah. you got to wing it yeah. people just don't see all that side of it I think yeah, oh, no. and I, that it takes to make everything happen and i think that's why i like to talk about that side of it too on the show because i because people don't see see behind the scenes stuff too much they see the glory but they don't see the grind oh absolutely yeah uh you know uh to this day, I started when I was 17 years old, mm -hmm. doing nightclubs when I was 19 years old. And to this day, backstage, uh, I don't talk to anybody. You know, I'm just kind of <laughs> to, my, to myself. And mm -hmm. I kind of pace. I pace up and down the dressing room. And then when <laughs> it's time, you know, then when it's time to hit the wings, and then you hear the music. And my opening music, the band plays Volade, and the band plays. Ba -da -da -da, yes. ba -da -da -da. 
and all of a sudden the adrenaline starts. It starts, yeah. and oh, as man. soon as you and as soon as you hit that stage, you're ready. You know, you're ready when you hit the boards yeah. and the spotlight hits you, and the band is cooking behind you, and then. <laughs> but before that, you're like this. You know, the to nerve. this day, yes. to this to this day, yeah, always get nervous. And you know, I I feel the same way with our show. You know, Sandy, I tell you, you know, oh, about, yes. you know, I try not to really focus on yep. what we're going to talk about up until about an hour before the show. I, I like Correct. you know, I, it'll drive me nuts. I, so about an hour before the show, I'm I'm pacing back and forth. I'm yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. And I keep at you know. My motto is um, trust the conversation. That's all we do. Mm -hmm. We have conversations with great people. Right. And and I always have to say, trust the conversation, trust the conversation. But I, I get exactly where you're coming from because I will pace back. I'm so oh, he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember years ago, my first manager, a man by the name of Frankie Day, we used to sit and uh, he would interview me. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, uh, you know, he kind of taught me how to answer a question, you know, so on and so forth. Not just, uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You know, of course, that could be death. You know, that could be death for people like you who are trying to interview somebody. With a one-word answer. You know, how do you like show business? How do you like show business, Bobby? Wonderful. <laughs> where, do you, where do you go? Where do you go? Where do you go from there? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to add? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, talking about that is funny because um, it reminded me of one of the interviews we had. And it was like, um, you know, we had, you know, our show started out as an up and coming country artist interview show. Yeah, and, and we still have that, mostly yeah. rising artists uh -huh. out there. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. our goal Mixture, yeah. is to have rising artists. Uh, in actors or big ones, but, mm -hmm. but, but, but yeah. if, if you want it to be a hobby, our show's not, my questions are built around it, not being a hobby. So I had one guest on one time and one of my questions I asked is when did you know this, that this could be a career for you? Right. And I'll never right. get this answer. I don't want it to be. And then from there, <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there like, how am I going to, how am I going to right. from there? Every yeah, right. Exactly. It's about Gears this around. is geared to this being a career. Yeah, yeah. You know what I remember years ago, uh, Mike Douglas had a show out of Philadelphia, the Mike Douglas show. Mm -hmm. And I I remember uh, Mike would ask a question, you know, and mm -hmm. whoever the whoever the guest was, you know, answered the question and, you know, uh, elaborated, you know, on the question. And Mike never really listened to the answer. You know, he would go on to the, he would go on right to the next question. You know, oh, it, was, wow. it was kind of weird. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Yeah, because that was something that, you know. He was, he was never listening to what the guy had to say. Yeah. He gave he, the question, the guy gives the answer, a nice and then he goes on. answer, and then he goes to another question. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And, and, you know, that was something that when we first started this show, I remember, you know, I'm a conversationalist. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't okay. be one of them people that ask question, you answer. I ask question, right. you answer. I cannot right. do If I had to do that, I'd quit the show. It'd just be oh, simple. Of yeah. 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 Because I enjoy <laughs> the conversation. I always have, you know, I've, I've done thousands of conversations in our marriage just on the street with people. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> so, so it's like yes. I was, we were met. Random conversation. Just random. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I could, you know, so you're talking about an interviewer that does that. I, I you know, again, I, I've seen podcasts like that. And it's like, I can't be that. Right, right. And, and, and it's a good thing that you're not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we talked a little bit about the sacrifice side, let's flip the script and go the other way. What are some wow moments for you? And, you, and you've, I know you've had a bunch of those because you've been yes. so long. But what are some moments that really have touched you? Oh, uh, God, there have been so many. It's really, uh, well, I guess one of the, one of the moments in my life was meeting Sinatra. Oh, wow. And I, I listened to Sinatra when I was 10 years old. I always loved Sinatra. Mm-hmm. And one night, one night he was at the Copa to see a comedian by the name of Joe E. Lewis. Sinatra made a movie, of, Sinatra made a movie about him called The Joker is Wild. Joey introduced him. My dad, myself, and my manager were in the club. We didn't even know that Sinatra was in the room. Oh, wow. And at the end of the show, of course, Joey introduced him. And he left. And I went, oh, man. I said, I blew it. I blew it. All I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was shake his hand. And I said, uh, that's, that's it. I, I, you know, I'll never have this chance again in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We go up, we go upstairs to the lounge to say goodnight to Jules Fidel, who was like the boss of the Copa. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I call, I called him uncle Julie through the kitchen doors in the lounge comes Sinatra. Oh, wow. Uh, and I went, I said, Uncle Julie, I said, all I want to do is shake his hand. And <laughs> Jules, Jules Padel talked like this. You wanted me, Frank? <laughs> said, yeah, I'd love to. You know, so Sinatra is sitting at a table with Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Usen, two wow. marvelous mm-hmm. lyricist songwriters. Richard mm-hmm. Conti, a great actor. Joe DiMaggio one of the greatest ball players who ever wear a Yankee uniform and Sinatra. We walk over, Jules Podell says, Frank, I want you to meet the kid. (laughs) Sinatra stood up with those blue eyes. He put out his right hand, he shook my hand and he said, how you doing, Robert? Called me Robert. I said, fine. I said, fine, Mr. Sinatra. How are you? He says, I'm just wonderful. Would you care to join us? Oh, wow. While I sat there in a town and we call it a mama Luke, like you don't say anything. Two words. You're just like this in awe. Mm -hmm. And a couple of minutes go by and Sinatra turns to me and he says, "Uh, what do you drink, Robert? I said, Coke. I figured if I said scotch and water, I'd get smacked in the face, you know? <laughs> but I've, I've got a picture. Well, I got quite a few pictures, but the one picture that I'm really proud of, it's just Sinatra in me, and he's got his left arm around me, and under his right arm, he has my album, Rydell at the Copa. And he signed it, and he signed it, not Rock, but he signed it. To Bobby, best always your friend, Frank Sinatra. So that had to be like the premier highlight, you know, in my life. 
Wow. Yes. Oh, now let's fast forward a little bit more and get to the point where you've been playing all these years and you come up to a point to where you have health issues. Tell us how yes. that came to be. Well, well did, you, uh, what, did it just happen or? Uh, no, it didn't just happen. Um, my first wife, God rest her soul, Camille, uh, we were married for 35 years and she, uh, she had breast cancer. Well, and she came she came home uh, with a cousin of mine, and, and my wife says to me, Bobby, sit down, I have to tell you something. And I sit down and I go, what, what is it, honey? She says, like this, I had breast cancer. Hmm. Like, you know, and I, saw, I said, what? Anyway, make a long story short, uh, she was clean for nine years, and we thought, wow, wow. You, you beat it, honey. You beat it. God bless. Well, it, after nine years, it came back, and it went into the liver, and it went into the kidney, and it went into the lungs, you know. And, of yeah. course, she passed, she passed away. Yeah. After she passed away, I turned to the bottle. I wow. became an alcoholic. And, I mean, I drank because... She was gone. I had nobody to talk to. She was nobody your life. To laugh, nobody to laugh with. Nobody to smile. Nobody to tell your troubles to. Nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I turned to the bottle to the point where I became an alcoholic. And then after all of those years of drinking, I needed a new liver and a new kidney. Mm -hmm. And there was a 21-year-old girl who lived in Reading, Pennsylvania. Her name was Julia. She was 21 years old. She got hit by a car and she was immediately pronounced brain dead, which is yeah. the only way wow. that you can get. That's the only way that you can get organs. You have to be oh, pronounced wow. brain dead. Yeah. Yeah. So I get a call and I'm O, o negative and Julia was O negative. Uh, matching blood. The hospital, the hospital calls me up and boom, you know, we go over to the hospital, they take my blood, this, that, the other thing. Within an hour, two hours, I was in the OR. And my surgeon was just absolutely wonderful. Not because he was Italian, but his name was, <laughs> <coughs> excuse me, his name was Cataldo Doria who came from Italy, he studied at the University of Pittsburgh, and then, thank God, he transferred to Philadelphia to Jefferson Hospital. Mm. And he did he did the surgery, and it was something like a full 22, 23 hours in the OR. Wow. And after the, after the surgery, uh, I, was, I was out of commission, you know, uh, for six months. You know, I just I was weak, did my stamina, so on and so forth. And then after the six months, my first appearance was in Las Vegas. And I went out there and I did what I do. I mean, oh, wow. I mean, you know, the, the energy wasn't, you know, 1,000%. But, I, you know, it was so nice after six months to be back on stage. And matter of fact, prior to that, when I knew I was going to work Vegas, I called over three friends, piano, bass, and drums. And I said, look, I, I just I just want to do tunes. I just want to see what the hell, you know, is coming out of here. 
So we did tunes. I mean, we did songs like, you know, the shadow of your smile. And I'm singing and I'm, I'm trying to make it, you know, and Craig Thomas, who's a marvelous bass player, I said, Craig, be truthful, man. How do I sound? And mm. it goes like this. It goes like this. Sounds like Bobby Rydell to me, man. <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 I want, and a dear friend of mine who just passed away, his name Lucy O.C., he had an 18-piece orchestra. And I said, Luke, can you get the band together? I want to do my act and see if I can do my act, which I did. And my drummer, okay, I flew him in from Chicago, and he was sitting behind the drums because he wasn't working for six months, you know. And he's yeah. sitting behind the drums, man, and there's a smile on his face, like saying, you know, saying to himself, Bobby's back, man, Bobby's yeah. back. And then, you know, Las Vegas was six months after the double surgery. So that's basically the story of that. <laughs> Wow. Basically, once, you know, that passion is in your blood, it's like there's no getting away from it. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? You know, it was just like what we went through with the COVID. You know, you kind of go cuckoo. You know, you gotta things, go. That keep, <laughs> things that keep you going are things like this, like the Zoom calls and so on and so yes, forth and, and being with friends, you know. So, yeah, of course, you know, you, you can't wait to get back up there. Yeah, sure. I mean, I can't even imagine six months because like um, we went on vacation for like uh, five days recently and but we were without the show for about a week, week and a half. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, about three, four days in, I'm like withdrawing here. I'm like, OK, um, I need an interview. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah right. Yeah. I mean, vacations are vacations are nice. But then you got to come back, you know, and do the real thing, you know. So, right, absolutely, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, as you know, a lot of people see the artists, the actors, and all that, but they don't see the teams behind them. And in our opinion, the teams never get the love they, they deserve. And I don't care if a person has a team of one and it's a family member or a team of 300, like Justin Bieber says he has. A team is a team. And without them, you can't do what you need to do. So if you want to take a few moments, tell us about the team that helps you be who you are. Well, first of all, it was my dad. You know, if it, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be in this business. And mm -hmm. then being a drummer, being a drummer all my life. And uh, to this day, I still play. I have my drums set up downstairs in my, my music room. And uh, so when I, when I do a show, my conductor has always been a drummer because wow. the drummer the drummer is the guy who keeps everything together if mm -hmm. he ain't there the band ain't there right <laughs> and i've been i've been through a lot of drummers who were wonderful wonderful drummers like eight years nine years ten years my drummer now is a gentleman uh from i mentioned chicago his name is david Covnat. And he's been with me 43 years. Wow. wow. 43 years. So he's the guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I tell the audience when I introduce him, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce my conductor to you, who's been with me now for 43, going on 44 years. And he's going to stay with me until he gets it right. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, he's the guy, he's the guy who, like I said, 43, going on to 44 years now, 
He's the guy who takes care of everything. He does the rehearsals. He gets the sound check and makes sure the band is, you know, exactly playing what they're supposed to play. I don't go. I don't go to rehearsals. I know what I got to do. I call Dave. I say, you know, I know what I have to do. And I say to Dan, to Dave, how's the band? And, you know, he'll either say, well, you're going to have to work a little bit harder. Or, or, or you know, the band is a monster, man. They're, wow. you know, they're great players. You're going to love it, you know. So, you know, he's the guy who, you know, really is behind me and, and gets me up, you know, gets me up for the shows, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, speaking of team members, we have a third co-host, our little nine-year-old that we let come on and ask three yes. couple questions. Christopher. <laughs> so Sandy's okay. going to go get him real quick. And then we've got okay. a... And we got a two-year-old daughter that when she gets older, we'll be plugging her into the show too, because we are a family affair show. Okay, that's wonderful. Yeah, but our nine-year-old is how, how long have you how long have you and Sandy been married, Chris? <clears throat> well, October will be 19 years. That's wonderful. God bless. <clears throat> so it's God and bless. it's been a crazy adventure. And see, I went through nine I went through um 19 years of addictions myself until uh, 14 almost 14 years ago december 26th i'll be sober for 14 years god bless wonderful that's absolutely wonderful and we wouldn't have him or caitlin we probably and sandy went through a lot the first five years of our marriage because of my addictions but you know she always stood by me never put me down never never got in my face she always loved me and like i always tell people you know she, you know people will say that she allowed me to walk over her those early years i'm like no she allowed me to experience God's love through her. And if it weren't for that, yeah. I wouldn't be here. Uh, it's, uh, you, you really, you know, my second wife is uh, Linda Hoffman. Mm. And uh, we're married. It's going on to 12 years now. And she was originally a nurse for 36 oh, well. years. And she was my caregiver, you know, when I oh, had right. to go through what, yeah, what I had to go through when I did, you know. So, like, through, so she saved your you life know, too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, she was there twenty four seven, absolutely. You know, you know, telling you know, just telling me what to do, how to do it. You know, so <laughs> on so forth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you need you need like your wife. You need a person like that. Yeah, he's wearing a green shirt, and we got a green screen, so it, he's he's a floating head right now. <laughs> yeah, I see. That. It's kind of weird. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, yeah, you look you, you look yeah. like something out of out of a cartoon for crying out loud. Yeah. You're in a cartoon now. Yes. Hey, hey, uh, let me ask you, where's your drumstick? My drumstick. Yeah, where's your drumstick? We told him the story. Uh, uh in the car. He keeps them oh, in, in the, the car, car so yeah. we always have it on us in case there's an opportunity. So you think uh, you think that's uh, what you want to be? Uh, you want to be a drummer? Yes. He was that's a, great. He great. He started. Yeah. <clears throat> Five? Yeah, Ooh. I started at five years old. I'll tell you, if you want, if you, if you really, uh, if that's your, your life's desire, you know, to become a drummer, I suggest that you study. I mean, not just put sticks in your hand and hit drums. When I mean study, I mean you go with an instructor, teaches you how to read music. It's very, very important to learn how to read music because you'll become available, you become available, let's say as a studio, as a studio musician, which is a great, great job, but you have to know how to read music. 
because mm-hmm. people come in, they'll, yes. throw, they'll, they'll throw charts up at you, and you got to be able to sight read as soon as you know that, that, that the, the conductor counts mm-hmm. it off. You got to be able to know, you know what a quarter note, what an eighth note is, what a sixteenth is, what a whole note is. So it's very important to study if you think that's going to be your career. And what we told him that next year, as we make our transition in the Nashville, that we'll get him drums then and lessons and, oh. lessons, and lessons and all that. So that you know, oh, so yeah. what you're Absol- saying is perfect. Absolutely, you must. Yeah, must take. I took lessons. Uh, when I was uh, about ten years old, oh. and I had a great, I had a great teacher in Philadelphia. His name was Sam D'Amico, and I studied with him for like two years to the point where he said to me, "Bobby, I can't teach you anymore." Oh wow! I, 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 I've showed you everything that I have. He said, "If you want to continue, go to New York City." And study with some professional drummers there, like Samuel Lano, who was a great, great oh, wow. drummer and a, and a good instructor. And I told I told uh, Sam D'Amico, I said, "I'll tell you what, Sam, I'm done studying. I want to play now, man. That's all I want to do. I want to get, I want to get behind the drums and play. I'm through studying. I know how to read music. You know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but it's very important. Very important." To learn how to read. Yes. We want to ask him. Okay, hi, Bob. So, what's your favorite food? What's the what? What's your favorite food? My favorite food, anything Italian. Mm-hmm. Spaghetti and meatballs, lasagna, managotta, ravioli. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm Italian. I'm Italian. My real name is Robert Louis Ritarelli. That's mm-hmm. my real name. Hmm. Ritarelli and my stage yeah. name, of course, is sounds like ravioli. Huh? Sounds like ravioli. Oh. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or rig- or rigatoni. You know what? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's that's my favorite food. Yeah. Mine is pizza. Well, I love pizza too. Being Italian, I love pizza. Yeah. But yeah. my grandmother, my grandmother, my mom's mom, she used to make what we call tomato pie. And that's what I love, just a plain tomato pie. No pepperoni, no cheese, no nothing. It was just a tomato pie. And they're very hard to find today, just tomato pies. You know, you'll find pizza with, uh, you know, uh, pepperoni on it, uh, uh, this on it, that, that. You know, don't put anything on the pizza, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but then, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, yeah, I, lo- I love pizza. I, I do absolutely adore pizza. So, what's it for a TV show? Oh God! Well, the TV shows that I used to love aren't on anymore. So I kind of, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm eighty. I'm going to be eighty years old. So uh, there's really nothing that I I watch, you know. And if oh, there's right. anything on, you know, like I'll watch like reruns of the Carol Burnett show. Uh, the, the the Danny Thomas show, make room for Daddy. Uh, you know anything that goes back to when I was like uh, seventeen, eighteen years old. So I really don't want other than sports. I'm a sports nut. You see, I have my Philadelphia Eagles hat on. Yeah. I love the Eagles. So anything that has to do with sports. From Philly, Philadelphia Phillies, baseball team, 76ers, basketball. 
NHL hockey, the Flyers, and of course the NFL, Philadelphia Eagles. So that's basic. That's basically what I watch, you know. And what's yours? Mine is SpongeBob. Oh, SpongeBob. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, when I when I flip two channels, I see SpongeBob, and I just flip and I go to somebody else. <laughs> What's been great with our show is because he watches a lot of Disney and Nickelodeon shows um, that we've been able to bring. Oh, well, like, well, been, oh, oh my God! I, I love Disney. I watch. I watch Disney films absolutely because we've been able to bring a lot of. Uh, and then, and then if I see, and then if I see a lot of uh, Warner Brothers cartoons, I love Warner Brothers, like uh, Bugs Bunny, mm -hmm. Yosemite Sam, Wiley e. Coyote, Elmer yeah, Fudd. Oh yeah. yeah, I love that. Willie, Willie. Ah. <laughs> and you know, and because we I thought, I, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought, put it that. And you know, because so we do and actors, we've been able to bring on quite a bit of people that he looks up to on TV from his shows too on our show. So that's been pretty cool. Well, you know, that's how I learned. You know, when I first, you know, started seeing people on TV when I was, you know, like seven, eight years old and started you know, trying to mimic the people that I saw on TV. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. He mimics a lot of people. Uh -huh. Yeah. So what? What's your next? All right. So what's the fair movie? Uh, this is way, way too old for you. Uh, but uh, 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 there's an actor that I, I totally adore. And his name was Humphrey Bogart. He was a great, great actor. And he did uh, he did a lot, a lot of movies. He's always played like a gangster, you know, in the movies. But the one movie that's a favorite of mine is a movie called Treasure of Sierra Madre. Which was one of the one of the Bogart films. He did African Queen. He did Casablanca. He did a show called The Maltese Falcon. And he's a great actor. And they were great movies. But my favorite, my favorite Bogart movie was uh, uh, what did I just say? The Treasure of Sierra Madre. It was a great, great, great film. And what's yours? Mine is the Minions movie. Oh well, yeah. You know, my wife loves them. <laughs> my wife was a Dominion things, yeah. And every once in a while, you know, I'll join her and we'll watch it because it's funny. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah, it is. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So uh, yeah, I'll watch them every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Thanks. Okay, you take care now. Yeah. He loves being on the show, and he's been on, you know, over four hundred of them. So you know, we. Oh yeah, that's great. We love the having part of the show and all that. For sure. Okay, and so what are some of your favorite songs to perform in concert? Well, of course, you know, the songs that I recorded, uh, you know, Wild One, Kiss and Time, Swing and School, Sway, Volare, Wild Days, or the, the, the Cha Cha Cha. And I, I like to do the songs from the American Songbook uh, because I'm a favorite, you know, I'm a fan of. So I'll do some I'll do some Sinatra songs as well. I'll throw them in, and basically yeah, like chestnuts. Like I've got the world on the string. Uh, uh, the lady is a tramp. Uh, uh, you know all all of the Sinatra chestnuts. I'll throw them in, and you know my audience right now, you know are my age. You know, and uh, so you know I'd like to throw in not only not only do the hits. 
but do some songs from the American Songbook. And like I said earlier, my favorite guy was Sinatra. So if I do any songs from the Songbook, it's always from Mr. Sinatra. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. And what would you like your legacy to be? What would you like to be most known and remembered for? Um, well, you know what? I, I guess I would have to. I, I saw Dean Martin do an interview. Uh, yeah, he was in London. And I think the interviewer asked him the same question. And I think my answer would be the same as Dean Martin's. And he would say, I just like to have fun. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that, man. You know, being on stage is fun. It's not a job. It's right. fun. So I would like to be, here's a guy who had a lot of fun in his life. <laughs> and and did it your way. Uh, well, no, that goes to another guy. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. You know, you know, uh, you, you know, it's on his tombstone. One of the songs that he recorded, The Best is Yet to Come. That's on oh, his wow. tombstone. I the know best that. is yet to come. The day will be fine. Oh, wow. yeah, the we best were, is yet. Huh? And we were up in Kentucky not long ago, a couple years ago. And we mm -hmm. was at by her dad's grave, and I happened to glance over and seen this tombstone of a couple, mm -hmm. and and on it it said, "We did it our way." And I looked at says like, yeah. "There's us. That'll be us." Oh well, uh, can't you think of anything more original than than copy somebody else's tombstone? <laughs> <laughs> to come up with their own there. Yeah, yeah. we did it our way. Or something like, you know what, we had a hell of a lot of fun, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something unique. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. if you could say anything to your fans, what would you want to tell them? Well, first of all, uh, I've been in the business for what now, 60, close to 65 years. And wow. I want to thank them. For, yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. And I'd like to thank them for being fans for all of these years and being so lo so loyal. And it was so nice after this COVID BS, you know, got out of the way that I was able to go out on stage and perform again. And, you know, just to get that, just to get that applause, you know, and the admiration from those fans that have been with you for God knows how many What's years. Here for you? <laughs> yeah, 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 they sure did. Wow. So what can I say? I love all my fans and God bless you for being so loyal all of these years. Wow. So yeah. what is next for you? I mean, you've been, it's been a long career. So what's next? Do you even think about that? I think I have to go to the toilet. I think that's what's next. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Just, just to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm enjoying what mm -hmm. I'm doing. And hopefully, you know, and, until these, you know, start going, you know, that's when I'll figure, you know, it's time to, it's time to get out. Love yes, that. Love As we come down to our last question here, if you had a friend of yours and you heard him or her singing, they have something special. Let's say that, you know, that they've, and they feel called to do this. What advice would you give that person to kind of help guide them the next few years in this crazy? Yeah, this, the, the, the same thing that my dad did with me, you know, if I had the talent and hopefully one of the parents of whoever it may be, a girl, a boy, 
could go out, take them out, do little jobs, you know, work with a, a piano player, uh, or maybe there's just a drummer. You go, go out there and try to nurture your craft. Just keep, keep working at your craft, nurture your craft. So when the time comes, if the time comes, you'll be ready for it. I mean, that, that's the only thing that I would have to say because I don't think there is any other way. I mean, you've got to be really, really prepared. You've got to be very professional and you got to love. You absolutely got to love what you're doing. If not, get the hell out. Because, you know, like they say, success happens when preparedness and opportunity meet. Because you, you, well, you don't want the opportunity to come and you're not prepared. You're going to lose it. There, well, there you go. You know, so nurture, be prepared nurture. so when that opportunity comes, you you're can ready. ready. There you go. There you go. So as we close out here, um, tell everybody how they can find you and stuff. Oh, you can just go to my website, bobbyrydell.com, and uh, you'll see uh, the list of the tour dates. And I also have a book that's been out for three years called Bobby Rydell, Teen Idol on the Rocks, A okay. Tale of Second Yeah, Yeah, A Tale of Second Chances. And basically, that's what my life has been, you know for the past 20 some odd years, a tale of second chances. You know, me be going through 19 years of addictions, I can say the same thing, you know, I've had- Right, right, exactly, exactly. And, and you know what's funny, you know, here you go, you see this, I'm smoking, right? <laughs> I've, been, I, I've been smoking since I was 10 years old, okay? I'm uh, gonna be yeah. 80. Yeah. This, it's harder to give up than drinking. Wow. Mm. wow. It really is. I don't, I'm, I'm always reaching for these. I'm always going crazy. And I'm not <laughs> proud of it. You know, believe me, Chris, right. Andy, I'm not yeah. proud of it. But yeah, oh, we understand. It's, it's another addiction. You know, it is right. another addiction that I can't stop. You know, I wish I could for crying out loud. Yeah. You know, but I, I, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's a, what do you call it? Uh, safety. <laughs> It's the safety the net, you know. Yes. But it is, it is, you know, the drinking bank, you know, I I I I uh, I, I, I handle that. But this yes. is tough. This is tough. Wow. So as we close out here, um we really enjoyed having you on the show did. today. And we yes, look we forward so to having you back down the road. Well, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Chris, Sandy, thank you ever so much. Thank you, son. He was absolutely gorgeous. He was really sweet as hell. Oh, sweet as hell. Please do. Please do. Right. Give him my love. Right. We Thank will. Thank you so much for Thank your time you for your today. Time. Bye. Bye. Absolute, absolutely. 